Welcome everybody, I'm excited to be here and um, missed all of you guys last week. We were, Adam and I had our 13 year wedding anniversary and we were celebrating with the romantic, it was great, it was great. It's amazing to be super in love after 13 years of being married. Uh, so we had a romantic weekend and, uh, but we did miss all of you. So it's good to be back and today in the Own Your Power series, we're gonna talk about the power of letting go. Oh, I heard noise from that. <laughs> What's wild about letting go is we kind of all know that it's important, right? That there's things, it's a big deal when we don't let go, that there's a lot that we don't want to hold on to, that holds us back, that weighs us down. But letting go is easier said than done, isn't it? So today we're going to talk about why we want to let go, some of the things that we want to let go of, and how, and it's a big topic, but um, we're going to, uh, let's first start with um, Philippians 3. One of the things that we understand as far as letting go is that having a lot of excess baggage, you know, and we even, people even use the term today of baggage like, you know, emotional things or, or you know, uh, things from our past, like you bring in a lot of baggage from your past history and relationships, that kind of thing, that we kind of get the sense of it weighing us down. And in this verse um, of scripture, we get sort of a sense of how important it is to let go as well as stretching forth. We had looked at this verse before when we talked about the power of stretching and why that was so important, uh, but now we're going to focus on more on the part of the letting go. In Philippians 3 and verse 12, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, it's interesting he calls it one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, G in Christ Jesus. So I kind of want to break this down because there's a lot of parts of it. And you almost get a picture of when he's talking about pressing for the goal in this of a race. You know, Paul also talks in Corinthians as far as running the race that's set before us, the race of being our life. So you think about it like when you, when you watch athletes, and um, whether it's runners or, or swimmers, and they're in a race and they're competing and want to be the best, they've gotten to the place that, that even in the technology that they've figured out how to get lighter and lighter to get faster, you know, and to, to win, to compete. Even the materials and fabrics that are used in Olympics today, you know, like with high technology that they go to great lengths so that people can be at the very best competitively. So we kind of understand that the whole idea of excess weight and things like that, that slow us down and hold us back. So it's kind of cool though, I love the fact that he opens this, he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. And then he also says, I count myself not to have apprehended, meaning I'm not there, I haven't like arrived, I'm not at the finish line. And it's really important in all of these things that we were doing in life, whether it's the letting go of things that are before and pressing forward, that it's a process. That we don't ever relate to life in a way of an I've arrived mentality. I'm done with that. I've let go. I'm all done. 
I have nothing. Can you think about that right now? Like, I've got nothing left to let go of right now. I've arrived. Does that really seem like that applies? <laughs> you know, so it should be the process of letting go and stretching forward. And the stretching forward is not like I'm done. So we should always be in the process in our lives, this verse is talking about, that life is, it's like a journey that, that we're looking at those two things. What do we need to let go of and what do we need to stretch forward towards? And both of those are uncomfortable for different reasons. But it's kind of interesting that he says that um, it uses the word forget, which I know can be sort of uh, misunderstood because you get kind of the idea when you think, just forget about it, you know? And have you ever had a problem where you have things, whether it's in the past, whether it's failures, whether it's relationship things, whether it's regret, that it's not easy to forget? You know, it's just sort of, so this word, I want to, and a lot of times people think about that, that all that letting go is, is just get over it. How many times maybe you even told yourself that? Just get over it. Just stop it. Just stop. It shouldn't bother you. Why is that bothering you? Just stop it. Stop thinking about it. It doesn't work, does it? The word forget here is actually means no longer caring for. It's not about... And again, it's a process. It's not about let's just act like it didn't ever happen. Because really, that wouldn't really do well. I think about, we kind of know that, that we need to at least understand and be clear about things that have happened in our past or we don't know where we're going. Business people know that. It's kind of a no-brainer. How many successful businesses do you think that there are that don't look at their history? None. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're not going to really look back at where you came from and analyze that and be clear about it, your, your business will fail. You need to know what the track record is and have some clarity on it to make decisions as far as going forward. You need light, you need clarity for that. So that's not what it's talking about. So what we're gonna talk about what works and what doesn't work in letting go. Because a lot of times people think of letting go or they have the expectation of what letting go is of, of acting like you never cared to begin with you know, like, like a lot of times people do that, like, oh, I just never cared, what do I care? Like minimizing how we felt or that we were ever attached to something. Or kind of like, kind of saying, well, it wasn't that bad anyway, whatever it was in the past. Have you ever done that? I did that with my abuse. You know, and as a, for people that don't know me, I came from an extremely violent, abusive home, and I told myself it wasn't that bad. You know, what I, you know how I'd relate to it, to, you know, all my life, where I just act like it wasn't a big deal. I think about the people that are starving or tortured or, you know, other people that, you know, and I would go, oh, I actually, when I was a kid, used to think about this guy that killed all of his kids and his family and go, well, we're not like that. That was my way of making myself feel better. And so that's not what letting go is about. Letting go is not about somehow you look at somebody way worse and say, well, I guess it's not that bad. It's not minimizing, it's not dismissing. So it's also not being a victim where, where you're sitting there not taking any ownership. That's where the pressing forward. That's why we want to always press forward at the same time as we're, get, as we're looking back. Because we want to say, what part, like people, let's say it's people that hurt you in your past. You know, places that you didn't get love, places that 
that somebody was unfair, betrayed you. There's all kinds of hurts, aren't there? I mean, part of this is first acknowledging that we all experience a lot of losses. So letting go is a part of first understanding that we all have lots of losses, whether they're failures, whether they're relationships, disappointments, failed dreams, you know, that that's a part of life. It's a part of the reality of life. So it's really a big deal as to how we relate to this loss and how we move ahead, of whether it is something that, that helps us or doesn't help us. So, <clears throat> so a part of this is it's, we're going to look at how we let go as well as how we press forward. Um, and the, the, one of the big keys to letting go is actually something called grieving. And I know we normally think of grieving as when somebody that we love dies, right? And we think about it as you go to the funeral and, and you cry and that's the grieving. Most of the time we only use it in that context. But we're, I'm going to look at the fact that in here that God's design in letting go is grieving and what that actually looks like, what healthy grieving looks like. Because part of what healthy grieving looks like is, is getting real about what the loss is. It's not pretending it doesn't exist. Because, you know, honestly, lying to yourself just doesn't work about anything. So we want to always be living in reality, like reality is our friend. And there's, so just looking at it, I wrote down just some of the losses you can think. I, death, obviously, is, the, is one. I already talked about failure, loss due to illness, financial loss not being who we hoped we were, not achieving what we had hoped, loss of a dream, loss of a relationship, not getting what we want, not getting love or approval that we wanted. It's a loss of anything that we wanted or desired is a part of the losses that we experience in life. Some are big and some are small, but, um, but it's important how we relate to this loss in a way that helps us to move forward. So grieving is a part of this. Now, Grieving, does being sad sound like fun? Part of the thing is people avoid grieving like crazy because we tend to sort of relate to life like all pain is bad. Like if it feels bad, it must be bad for you. But that's not really how it works. There's good pain and bad pain, and it's really important that we don't live our lives to just everything does this feel good. Otherwise, we never go to the gym, right? That's a good pain, isn't it? You know, unless you injure yourself. But otherwise, you know, the, the thing is, is how your muscles feel afterwards. And that pain is good. It's a good pain that helps us to move forward. And so we want to distinguish between the pain that helps us and pain that hurts or harms us. And grieving is a good pain. It's a pain that moves us forward. And grieving, actually, Henry Cloud and John Townsend talk about in their materials that it is the pain that, that cures all other pains. The grieving is a pain that's short-term, it's not forever, it lasts for a period of time. So it's important that we know how to grieve well. The, another example um, <clears throat> that I've heard like years ago actually, but um, is that you think about um, the difference between a mugger and a surgeon. You know, they both cut you open with a knife, take all your money, right? Mugger does that, slices you open with a knife, takes all your money, so does a surgeon. But one's good for you and one not so good. Do you know what I mean? So it, that's why it's really important that we take a look and not just live life where everything that we do is for comfort or avoiding pain. And so grieving is something that we want to move towards when we have loss in life. 
And so I want to kind of talk about, let's go to um, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 3. Depression, the definition of depression, it, it, what it is, if you've ever experienced this or known somebody that's dealt with depression, it comes from shoving losses down and not acknowledging that there's been a loss. You know, depression, if people that experience it, they don't know, like, it it's, feels like it's coming from nowhere and it just goes on and on and there's, like, no end to it, it feels like. And that comes from constantly shoving down losses over and over and over again over many years and just acting like, oh, it didn't matter, it shouldn't matter, it's not that big of a deal, etc. all of the hurts that we've experienced. And so grieving cures depression. Sometimes I, I get it that, when somebody's been depressed for a while, uh, medication could be helpful. But, um, but I've seen people that were on medication for depression and grieved and didn't need medication anymore uh, in that process. So it's, and you see it in this verse, which I think is kind of funny. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible I just think is funny. So it's Ecclesiastes 7, verse 3. It says, sorrow is better than laughter. Like, that sounds so crazy, doesn't it? Like laughter. Who likes to laugh? I love to laugh, don't you? It's saying sorrow, being sad, is better. Why? Does that sound insane a little bit? Right on the surface, it sounds totally crazy. But because on the, you know, like, yes, laughter is a lot of fun. Sorrow, not as fun. <laughs> not even fun at all. Um, but it says that. It says for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. In verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of, of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So it's just saying here that if you have reason to be sad, it's good to be sad. Laughing when you're sad is not good. It's not healthy. It's acting like the world is a lie around you. You know, if, if you're hurt and you're acting like it's nothing and you're not hurt, there's no healing. You can't get to the other side. There's no deliverance in that. The Bible says that you'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So being even truthful about hurt is a part of that. I really am hurt, you know. And then it also says, it's kind of interesting, like, if you enter into it and allow it, th your heart actually gets better. If you purposefully go into grieving, and we're not going to talk about how to do it in a way that you can really get to the other side, because it can be in a way, it shouldn't go on and on and on and on, real grieving. Um, but we'll talk about some of the keys for that. But the, your heart gets better, and we'll talk about why that is. And then it also says, the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's just sort of like, it's an idiot that just thinks everything needs to be like funny and fun and funny. You're a fool, the Bible says, if you want to live like that way. It's just like you're not living in reality is what it is. Okay, so let's go to, um, uh, let me kind of walk you through a little bit as far as the steps in grieving. And one of the things that people do a lot to avoid grieving, you know, to, um, is to protest. What protest is is just wishing the circumstance were different. And people stay stuck in protest mode a lot, where they just are wishing, you know, have you ever caught yourself doing that, where you just role play over and over and over again, that you just want it to be different and just stay there? And how far does that get you? Do you know, you want a relationship to change and you sit in there and go, it would be great if this, if that, if that. Well, it's not. 
Do you know? It's sitting there thinking, if this person would only do this, 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 and this, life would be great, is not the key to having a great relationship. It's just not going to work. So being in protest mode of just wishing the circumstance were different does not move you forward. But that's a lot of why are people stuck and not um, move into the grieving one. So step one of grieving is actually saying, admitting that you care. Like what you wanted, that you really wanted it. That not that it didn't matter. Like I really wanted that relationship. I really wanted that job. I really wanted my finances to work out better. I really wanted to get more love from my parents growing up, you know, to um, be valued more or whatever like it. Just say, I really wanted that. So step one is acknowledging the reality that you did care instead of, like I say, what oftentimes we do, which is I didn't want it anyway. It didn't really matter that much. So that's kind of the first part um, of just saying, I lost something that really mattered to me. And then the next part is acknowledging that it's not going to happen. That's the letting go thing of just going, it's, I'm not going to get it. It's not going to happen. I can sit here and wish all day for the circumstance, but it's not, I have no evidence that this is going to change. You know, it's, um, yeah, and saying goodbye. So that's a part of grieving. Let's go to um, Proverbs 30. Because part of the, one of the reasons, too, as far as letting go and why it's so um, hard to do is, is being alone in it, in it, you know, being alone in our grieving. The other thing, too, as far as letting go, if you think about it, like letting, like letting go of whatever it is. How many times have I, I know I've gone through my life holding on to something so much because there's a sense of, there will be a sense of em emptiness when you let go of something. That is the norm. You had something that mattered to you, you let go. It's normal to feel empty inside about that. You know, to feel, that's, that's what the grieving is, is acknowledging that there really is a real loss there. And so that's why it's really important that we don't grieve by ourselves, that this isn't something that we do in a vacuum. Because when there's emptiness, the reason a lot of people never grieve is because they don't have people around them to put the love and care to fill in the hole that, that's empty. Part of why we want to let go is because if we're holding on to something so tightly, a lot of times it doesn't make room for God to give us what God's trying to bless us with. A lot of times where God's got something amazing in store up ahead, and we have fear, you know, fear of the emptiness, fear of the loneliness, fear that we're not, that we're holding on so tight. I mean, just think about it with your hand. If your hand is like clutching something tightly, you can't receive anything, can you? It's, there's no openness, there's, there's no room for God to bring you something else that he really wants to bring you. You have to let go and open your hand to receive from God as far as what he wants to bless you with. So it's a big part of why we want to enter into grieving. Let's go to um, Psalm uh, 30 in verse uh, 5. It says, uh, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That if you do grieve, and we're going to take a look at, at not wanting to do it alone, that there is joy in the other side of it. 
Um, because what happens is it makes room for new things in your life. Um, part of, like I say, even you have to not be alone in this because if you think about during a famine, people will hold on to rotten food in a famine. Have you, you know, you go to countries where there's hunger, people struggling with hunger, people will eat anything, whether it's rotten or not, whether it's toxic, etc. Why is it? Why, is, why would somebody hang on to a piece of moldy, disgusting bread like crazy? Is if there's nothing else. You have nothing else to eat, of course. So part of the whole thing with grieving and letting go is, is God wants us to not be alone in this, that he wants to, we've got to surround ourselves, and a big part of this is that God made the body of Christ and one another, that you need people in your life that can be there for you to fill in the emptiness with love and grace in the empty places and to grieve with you. Let's go to uh, Romans uh, chapter 12 and in verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That if people are weeping, we want to weep with them. And I know a lot of us come from, and I, I was raised this way too, of this sort of fix-it mentality. Somebody's crying, you want to cheer them up. Don't cry. Don't be so blue. You know, look at the bright side. You know, I, I've seen, somebody did that. Um, I had a friend of mine that was, died, who was an amazing man. He died fairly young in life. I think he was late 50s or something. Uh, super close friend and... Um, and the whole funeral, because it was a church that I came from, that was everything had to be positive. I came out of a church that you just were never negative about anything. You never cried about anything. It was always positive, everything positive. Well, you're n it's not dealing with reality because there is loss in life. So I went to the funeral, and I was just like, I was so brokenhearted because this is an amazing man who died very, very young, and he was very loved. There was not even a eulogy so that you couldn't cry to go, wow, this is a person people loved and were cared about. The whole sermon was kind of like, uh, you know, it was all kind of, well, we don't need to cry because Christ's coming back, you know. It was kind of like that, you know. It's just like, don't, don't cry because we're going to see him again. And, you know, it's just sort of like there wasn't even room for it. And then I went to the um, wake after, and I'm just crying because it felt great because now I know how to cry. I didn't cry my whole life. I was, I, I mean, I didn't shed a tear my whole life. I was so tough that I didn't let anything get inside. And so it feels amazing. I feel so much freedom now in just being able to cry when something feels sad. So I didn't care if nobody else was crying. I was crying, bawling my face off. And, and I think everybody thought I was weird. So um, I was sitting there, ah! <laughs> I was just like crying a lot. And, making, and so the pastor who I knew, he's a sweet guy and everything, came over, sat next to me, and just tried so hard to cheer me up. Don't worry, Nancy, Christ is coming back. And I'm like, I'm just like, I can't cry at a funeral for this wonderful guy that died. Like, you know, he was just really uncomfortable. And it seemed like almost everybody there was super uncomfortable with me crying. I was just like, I was blessed, though. <laughs> um, it felt good to care and be engaged and have the fact that he did matter very much and that it was a real loss and a true loss. Um, in spite of the fact that we do have the hope that Christ is coming back and all that, it's great, but there is c some comfort. It says that the Bible actually says about that, 
It says that we sorrow not as others who have no hope. It doesn't say that we don't sorrow. It says that the pain won't be as great as if there's no hope if you have the hope of Christ coming back. It's painful, it says. It's just not as horribly painful if you believe that this is not the end here, you know, that there is a life to come. So, yeah. And then it says, um, in Matthew 5 and verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, it's another thing. If you mourn, you leave room for people to comfort you. And you want people that can mourn with you and not try and shut you up when you have tears. People that can join in in that. That's part of how you let go and to not do it alone. Um, Cloud and Townsend talk about grieving. They say grieving by yourself is something about... I forget the formula, but basically, if you do it by yourself, the pain is twice as great, and then if you do it with others, it's half as much, you know, it's just like, it's exponential kind of thing. Like, the, the, the pain of having pain all by yourself in a vacuum is, can be unbearable, because you've got nothing that you're letting inside. You're, you're connecting with the loss that's great, and you're alone in it. It can be unbearable, but it's having people say to you, gosh, that is sad. That really is heartbreaking. And also people to just go, it wasn't fair. What happened to you is not fair. It's not okay that you were hurt that way. It's not okay that you were abused. It's not, you know, if you came from that kind of background. It's not no big deal. It is a big deal. You know? And if you grieve it, which I had not my whole history, you can move on to have a whole different life because me not grieving that, that part of my past life, what happens is if you don't get in reality to whatever the hurts are, it affects other parts of your life. For me, it, it resulted, me going through that abusive background and not acting like it was any big deal, resulted in me getting into hurtful, destructive relationships that I didn't see coming. Because I was so callous. If you can't feel when something bad is happening, you're so, like, dead emotionally from it, then you can't tell when something good is happening or bad is happening. Your discernment is just not all there. The Bible talks about being past feeling. It's, it's having being calloused, so thick-skinned that you can't feel. It's like, you know, when you're walking when, in the summertime and... Um, First hot day on the, on the blacktop, you ever walked and it hurts a lot, hot, hot blacktop. It's like, ow, 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 you know? And then as kids, we used to think it's hilarious to do it over and over again until you get thick calluses on your feet and then you take a pin and we'd stick them in. Oh, look, how funny, you don't feel anything. That's what happens. Didn't you do that as a kid? No, I'm the only person that did that? I, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's thick skins and you go, ha, 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 look, I'm sticking a pin in my foot. And it does, you don't feel anything? If you can't feel, if you can't feel when something, you know, and you're calloused, you know, then what happens, the callousness is not, is not a good quality. It can help you through hard times. I know I was so calloused, like I say, I did not cry at anything. And I was so proud of that. I thought that was awesome. You know, like nothing can get to me. But if you can't see bad things, what happened was I'd get into all kinds of awful relationships and not see it coming because I can't feel it. God gave us senses to feel things so we would know. They would be alarms. Our feelings should be alarms to tell us that, some, that something's going on. 
So we want that to be awakened, not dead, not calloused. Does that make sense? You know, so it will impact other things. It shows up in all kinds of funny places. If you have, let's say, have parent problems, you know, I'm sure nobody here does that. You know, and honestly, even good parents screw up and do dumb stuff that it hurts us as kids, you know? Like sometimes the encouragement isn't, they, they're trying to be encouraging, but it squishes our dreams, or do you know what I'm saying? Or, or people that, parents that didn't validate as much as they could, or made us feel special, or valued, or loved. If you don't see that, that that's impacted you, then what happens a lot of times, because we talk about this in the dating relation, in the dating workshop, is oftentimes people unconsciously, they go after the, a person that's just like the parent that hurt them, trying to get that hole fixed. You know, let's say you had somebody, a disconnected dad that was not super emotional, didn't give a lot of love or hugs or validation. And so then the person, you know, like, like that was my case, you know, you pick somebody that can't give you that. And so there's a little, there's a little hurt person inside that's trying to get love from somebody that can't give it, thinking it's, an, it's a psychological thing, so it's not something like we think through consciously, going, if I can just get this person that can't feel anything to love me, then I'll really be lovable. So that's where the hurt that we ignore inside, that's frozen up inside of us, affects all these other parts of our life. So that's why we want to, the grieving part helps us, does that, kind of makes sense. It's kind of a weird, you know, it's kind of weird until you un understand it, but now it's sort of like, it feels great for me to just be alive um, in my feelings, you know, and to know I've been able to let love in more because a lot of times too, if you have a hard time with connecting with the hurt part, you have a hard time letting love in even if you're calloused, you know, feeling that, letting that get inside of you. So that's why the Bible's saying these things that sound really wacky on the outside, because the Bible's not wacky. It just sounds that way at some of these things. You know, that it's uh, better is sorrow than laughter kind of thing. So anyway, in this, as far as the um, grieving part goes and letting go, it's just a piece of letting go. I know that there's a whole lot to that. It's part of why we do even the fellowships in this church is that you can get time to get close to one another even in the retreats, we do that in the groups. Um, that there's a lot of opportunity where people just get healing and deliverance and get free of all of this stuff. Amen. <laughs> Amen is true. It really is. So grieving, not all pains are the same. We want to really be looking at good pain and bad pain. Pain that causes harm and damage to our lives and pain that's worth it, that brings healing and results for one. Grieving is, and being in reality about the things that have hurt us is good and helps us heal. Reality is always our friend. But it's also that we want to grieve and not be alone in this. Part of why it's so hard to let go of things is because we don't have enough resource. If it's hard right now to let go of something in your life, to grieve it, to let go. You know, I know for a long time I was in a, a relationship and my therapist was saying, you know, it's like she was afraid that he, the guy was going to kill me, and I was just like, did not want to hear that. And I couldn't let go because I didn't have enough resources. If you're in that place, get more resources. Get more fellowship. It's what God designed the body of Christ to be, and don't grieve alone. So let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, 
I thank you so much um, for your word that makes sense even just your wisdom, God.